Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So, so I want to uh, start this morning with a little story. <clears throat> Some of you, a few of you here have been to Nicaragua with us in the past. We have worked there uh, for a number of years with vineyard churches and helping them be established. And about, uh, so, so currently in Nicaragua, I don't know how much you guys know the politics. I follow it because of my connection there. But a gentleman named Daniel Ortega is the president. He represents the Sandinista Party, which is a socialistic, very, very left-leaning organization uh, the other party, the PRI, is more moderate, and and there it's 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 similar political system to here in that there's always tension and sort of differences between the parties. Um, Sandinistas have been uh, in in charge and rule for at different times, but about uh, 12 years ago, before they were in office, the PRI was in office. Uh, we were there with a team working with the La Vina in Managua, and we, did, we were going to do a, a series of outreaches in different communities around the city, just a, a kind of a, a mini version of what we did last summer with 1,000 Hours, just going to go out and serve the community. Every community in Nicaragua has a park, and every park has a basketball court. It's an interesting thing because basketball and baseball there are both really much more popular than soccer, which is unusual, but they are, and people love to play basketball, and so uh, every, every community has a park with a basketball court, and this particular community, which uh, it is a Sandinistan community, and that's one of the differences between here and there, is that people with a political affiliation tend to sort of hang together. So this was a Sandinistan community, and, and my friend Eugenio let me know that. And we were going to go in. Their basketball court had kind of, uh, you know, fallen into disrepair, so to speak. So we were going to go in and clean up the park and, park and redo the basketball court. So we actually, um, we rented a pressure washer. We had a couple guys that actually washed the concrete. We took wire brushes and scraped the uprights and then repainted them. We bought new backboards, new nets, new, you know, new hoops, the whole deal. Uh, so it was, it was really nice. And at the end of the day, the neighborhood came out and they did a big barbecue. They actually had a big barbecue and we hung out and, and ate with them and fellowship with them. And then uh, actually, you know, some people, present company excluded, played a little basketball. Um, the cool thing was about three months later, my friend Eugenio sends me a picture. He says, hey, check this out. And it was a picture of the court that we had redone. And they had hired, the community had hired an artist to come in. And they painted a, a grapevine across the court with a big bunch of grapes. And they wrote La Vina Corte, the vineyard court on it. And so they actually dedicated the basketball court to us. And the reason that I, I share that with you is, is sort of the... Uh, kind of uh, focus of our message this morning, and that is that when the kingdom of God breaks in, dividing walls break down. And people that have 
sort of built-in cultural differences tend to come together. So our title this morning, go ahead, is Breaking Down Walls. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll look at the passage together. Father, I pray that you would cause us to uh, open our hearts this morning to receive from you, that you might uh, show us ways in which each of us could break down barriers, break down walls, break down div- divisions in our culture, in our society, in our life. Uh, that you would open us up to receive uh, people that are different than us and to be true ambassadors of your kingdom here in this place today. Amen. All right, we are in the Gospel of Luke, and we have made it all the way to Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at uh, the first 10 verses this morning, which is a... uh, a little bit longer passage. We usually do two or three at a time. We're going to do 10 today, but go ahead and uh, let's look at that. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. And there a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, he goes. This one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the man who had been sent returned to the house, and they found the servant well. All right, a couple of, a couple of contextual kind of comments here. First of all, centurion is a Roman soldier. He would be in command of about 100 people, 100 men. So he's kind of, I don't know the equivalent in our U.S. military, but sort of a mid-level officer. So he, he, is, he indicates this here, but he understands authority structures because he does have those above him and he has these men that he's responsible for. So he, he understands authority. Uh, as a Roman soldier, he, he would also have been fairly well compensated for his job. So he would not be uber rich, not be like, you know, a multi-millionaire guy, but he would be well off, probably in our culture, you know, upper middle class sort of a guy. He is, of course, a Gentile, so he's not native uh, to Israel. He is, he is there in Israel as part of the Roman occupying army to uh, keep Roman rule and keep peace in the community. When it says that uh, he highly valued his servant, in the Greek, that is one word. The word is entomos. And it does not mean that he valued him just monetarily. So he's not viewing this servant as, this servant as a commodity, saying I value him because I have an investment in him. He's, what he's saying is I care about this guy. Uh, it wouldn't be all that uncommon for someone uh, you know, as a servant and a master to develop a friendship and a relationship. And that's really what's indicated here is that this is a person that he cares about. So the, the Jews and the Gentiles 
they, they did not interact very much. They, they would typically keep their distance, sort of stay to their, to their selves, the Jews with the Jews, the Gentiles with the Gentiles. In this case, though, the centurion, as a Roman soldier, probably even more so. If, if you were living in Capernaum at the time, and this guy's job is to keep the peace and to make sure you don't get out of line, you're probably not going to go out and hang out with him. You're going to keep your distance from him. Um, and it's that reason that when the servant gets sick, the centurion does not go to Jesus directly, but it says he sends some elders of the Jews to him. And I'm certain that in his mind, he's thinking that sending some of his own people will present a greater opportunity for Jesus to respond than if he were to go himself. So that's the background. And here's the thing. There's a lot of social conventions at play here. Uh, we're dealing with issues of race, dealing with issues of religion, dealing with issues of economy. We have, in essence, a very well-to-do Roman military person who is uh, asking an impoverished, itinerant Jew for help. Um, Luke makes sure he mentions here that the soldier was a good guy. The elders of the Jews that he sent uh, did indicate to Jesus, hey, this guy deserves your help. Uh, he's a nice guy, he's, he loves us, he's helped us out, so he's a good guy. So there's a, there's a lot of things happening, but I, I don't believe that any of that matters to Jesus at all. I, I think Jesus sees one thing. Jesus sees an opportunity to demonstrate the very things that he's been talking about. He was a show and tell kind of guy. Jesus would proclaim the kingdom and then demonstrate the kingdom, or sometimes demonstrate and then proclaim, but... Uh, he would talk about it and then do it. And he had been, just finished this long message where he had, he had said to the people there, hey, love your enemies. Don't judge, don't condemn. Bear good fruit, live a good life. Uh, and now he sees an opportunity to do that. And so he's gonna do that. He's gonna help this guy out. And the crowd around him, of course, does not have the same perspective that Jesus does as uh, is typical, they're always <laughs> lagging a few steps behind in, in the thinking. And I'm sure that at least some people in the crowd, if not the majority, weren't thinking, wait a minute. No, no, no. Why are you going to help this guy out? This is the wrong guy. We have, we have sick people here. You could help our sick people. You came to set us free. In fact, you came to set us free from them. So why are you going to go help this guy? And I'm sure that they were confused and probably unsettled, unhappy maybe with the decision. And this is the kind of thing Jesus did often. It's the kind of thing, frankly, that got Jesus killed. Uh, Jesus broke all the rules. Social conventions, cultural sort of, uh, you know, realities or, or uh, whatever you call that, sort of cultural mores, didn't really uh, matter to him at all. There is no conventional wisdom in this. We take care of our own. We, deal, we, we help our people out. They help their people out. That's the way it goes. Jesus didn't really see those boundaries. His entire life was a protest against dividing walls. Everything he did was to come against the things 
that separated people, that ranked people, that oppressed people. Jesus continually extends himself and reaches out to those very people that were separated, oppressed, and ranked. We see him time and time again. He, he go, you know, the lepers were untouchable. He goes to lepers and heals them. Uh, he spends time with prostitutes. Uh, women in general were, were seen as somewhat less than. It was a very patriarchal society. We see Jesus continually making sure that, that women felt uh, cared for and welcomed into the kingdom of God. He uh, extended himself at times to those that were really not liked at all. We've seen him uh, go to a tax collector. We've seen him time and time again uh, help Samaritans, and now he's going to help a Roman soldier. So he really cuts against the grain. Sometimes when I think of Jesus, I think of some of these social protests uh, in our country Today, maybe, uh, in terms of the uh, LGBTQ community, but uh, going back, I think of what, as a kid growing up, the 50s and 60s, with Rosa Parks and MLK and civil rights and sort of protest, social protest, and then people that didn't like the social protest and sort of all the division and separation and the kind of back and forth that happened. So Jesus' purpose is somewhat like those but it's, it's also greater than that. He is making a stand against inequality and injustice, there's no doubt. But he also has another agenda, and his agenda here is to demonstrate what it looks like when people come together and live under the rule and reign of God. Because when the kingdom of God comes into a community, comes into a location, comes into a place, dividing walls begin to break down. And that's really what his heart is to demonstrate here. That those things that might otherwise separate us mean nothing when my kingdom comes. On our behalf, there is some sacrifice to be made in that. Uh, that's not going to just happen. As we look at culture today and the, the differences and dividing walls that are here, I believe it means that Christians are going to have to do the very thing that Jesus did. Uh, we're going to have to ignore traditional boundaries and go beyond those things. We're going to have to disregard some of those social conventions and extend ourselves in ways that we might not uh, feel very comfortable doing or might not otherwise do. Uh, and, and when we do that, at times, you might be viewed a little bit as a rebel. People might go, well, wow, that's kind of radical. Uh, people might see you the way that they saw Jesus. Why... Are you going to help that guy? Uh, I didn't tell a lot of people. I'll tell you. <laughs> the, uh, when the first wave of refugees coming out, I, I work in Central America with the mission, so I have a heart for Central America. When the first wave of refugees out of Central America were moving up through Mexico and they got to the border in Tijuana, a couple, this is probably a year or more ago now. Uh, I, we have a vineyard church in Tijuana, and I happen to know the pastors there, and I visited with them on occasion, and I called them, and I said, hey, look, if you guys can organize something, if you can pull something together, I'll, I'll pay for it. I'll give you the money to buy water, buy food, whatever, to take care of these people. And um, they, they, it, it didn't work out. They weren't able to pull something together. But uh, the first thing on my mind was, what can we do to you know, help? You think about racial segregation in our country, and here's the thing. Racial segregation is against the law. 
in this country. Uh, it has been for a long time. You cannot discriminate against someone because of race. My wife and I work in real estate and that is one of the key tenets of real estate. You cannot discriminate whether someone's buying, selling, whatever, uh, based on race, religion, anything. You can only discriminate one reason in housing, money. <laughs> Do you have the money or not? That's the only question I can ask. Nothing else matters. Uh, if you have the money to buy this house, I don't care who you are, you can buy this house. It is against the law. Regardless, housing, social services, whatever you're doing, you cannot discriminate based on race in this country. So let me ask you a question. Does racism still exist here? You cannot legislate morality. Yeah, racism absolutely exists here. Do racial prejudices exist? Do structures, racial structures and, and systems exist all the time, every day? The most common response when we see those things frankly, and I'm just being honest, is to ignore them. And the less that you are touched by them, the more likely you are to ignore them. So for example, someone like me would probably just turn the other way because I am a heterosexual white male and therefore am in the category of the least discriminated people in this country. I, I am at the top rung of American privilege. I have never been pulled over for driving while white. I have never been accused falsely of shoplifting. I have never been turned down for a job because of the color of my skin or the accent that I speak with or the way that I dress. I am not an Asian American woman, I'm not an African American man, and I'm not a Latino teenager. My, my, my world does not have to be multicultural. Uh, I, I live in the world that I live in and it's perfectly acceptable because it's my world. And, and it's fine just the way it is. Thank you very much. And that's the way most of us feel most of the time. But if I am any one of those other people, it is mandated that I enter into a multicultural reality in order to succeed in this culture. I cannot be that person without thinking about what it means to be in that environment that's dominated by white heterosexual males. So here's the point, I think as Christians it is on us to learn about boundaries, to learn about dividing walls, to understand what those things are in our culture and to talk to people and to ask questions and, and to learn just about how people feel and what, what things are like and extend ourselves with the welcome of the kingdom. To do exactly what Jesus does here and says, I'm gonna help this guy because he's different than me. Uh, let me just, Jesus was a smart guy. Do you guys know that? Jesus was the smartest guy that ever lived. And he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what people would think. He knew what people would say. He knew there would be a cost. And that's how he did everything. You know, the Jews and Samaritans uh, hated each other. They, the Jews hated Samaritans so much that if they had to go on a trip that would require them to go through Samaria, they would not walk through Samaria. They would go around. That's how much they hated Samaritans. 
So what does Jesus do? Well, he just marches right into Samaria. Why? Why do you think he did that? Just to be a rebel? No, I'll tell you why he did it. Because there were Samaritans there. Jesus said, you know what? I, 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 I want to go hang out with these guys. I want to find out about them. I want to talk to them. I want to get to know who they are. Central element of the kingdom of God is the reunification of people. If you will, the reversing of Babel. If you look at scripture, the Tower of Babel is at the very beginning and at the Tower of Babel, there is this confusion that happens and this separation that happens among people and they, they scatter and they fragment. At the end of the book, at Revelation, we see reunification, people coming together again, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all unified around the throne of God. And so as we walk our lives out in the kingdom of God, the goal is to move further away from here and further toward there. And anything and everything we can do to draw the hearts of people together is moving and advancing the kingdom of God towards the ultimate goal of being with Jesus. We are called as followers of Christ to break down barriers, to break down walls, and to intentionally extend ourselves to those people who might be different than us. We are called to walk right through the middle of Samaria. I I have a little habit. It's not a big deal, but when I go to wherever, Starbucks, grocery store, it doesn't matter, uh, if the person that is you know, serving me or the person that's working uh, is different than me, if they have an accent, if they dress differently, look differently, uh, I, I always ask, hey, where are you from? Oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, you know, maybe I've been a few places, so sometimes I have a connection and I can make a connection, sometimes not. I go, well, tell me about that. A little more, oh, cool. And then I always end the conversation with this, hey, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. God bless you. It's not a big deal. It's a little thing. It doesn't cost me anything. It takes a minute or two. But I don't know if anyone else has ever said welcome to that person, and so I just want to make sure somebody does. We have cultural barriers and cultural boundaries that exist that make this more difficult. By nature, we tend to be a little bit reserved. We sort of like our own space. We're, we're, you know, we're not British. <laughs> the, the Brits are very stoic. Very, very, you know, very, good morning, sir. Welcome. If you go to a British church, that's what happens. Good morning. Um, but we still have a little bit of that. Personal space, boundaries, right? So if you walk into a suburban, white, middle-class church, chances are you'll be greeted. Somebody will say, welcome, glad you're here today. I uh, travel to Central America. When I show up at a Central American church, what do you think happens? And I don't mean, there's some that I have friends, I've been there a lot of times, but let's just say I'm in, next month I will be in El Salvador. Oh, actually, yeah, July. This, is it this month? This month. <laughs> and I'll go to a church there for the first time. And I know what will happen, because it happens at every Central American church I've ever been in. Walk in the door, I will be greeted by 37 people. 
Uh, I will shake hands with everyone. Every, people will hug me. I will get kissed on both cheeks by every little old lady in the room. <laughs> Absolutely, no doubt. And that will happen before service and it will all happen again after service. And I feel like a celebrity when I walk into that building. And the reality is that that's the way everybody feels that walks into that building because that's the way they are. If you show up at my church, I've shared this before, but it was, it was an unreal and very humbling situation. We did an outreach in a community in Nicaragua and we were gonna invite people to come to a, to a little service we were gonna do on Sunday. So we went door to door in this community and it's a fairly impoverished community and we were handing out flyers, a piece of paper to invite somebody to come to something we were doing. Now I want you to think for a minute, if someone comes to your door and hands you a flyer, a piece of paper, an invitation to come to something they're doing, what your response would be. You don't have to share that, I just want you to think about it. But here's what happened when we did that. Every single person at every single house invited us in. Come in, sit down. Do you want something to drink? It was overwhelmingly humbling. So here's the moral of the story. Let's just loosen up a bit. Let's just loosen up a bit. I love to shop at the little Mexican tienda by my house. When I moved here in the mid-90s, um, one of the first realizations I had was that there was no Mexican food. And it was borderline tragic. Coming from Southern California, uh, I, I, there was no Mexican food. There were two choices, Chevy's and Taco Bell. Uh, and in case you didn't know, neither one of those is Mexican food. And I was like heartbroken. But praise God, our community is changing. Go to the next slide if you would. That is San Francisco Mexican Tienda, one mile from my house, home of the best tacos in Oregon. There is a God in heaven and he knows my name. <laughs> I love to go there. And you know what's fun? I always run into somebody I know. Everybody goes there. It's awesome. Let's live on purpose. Let's be intentional about getting outside of our comfort zone a little bit. Take a field trip. Take a, I tell you what, take a field trip to H Mart. Anybody ever been to H Mart? Uh, here, I'll get another little, today is just an insider trading day. Another little secret. H Mart is the only establishment whose name ends with Mart that I will shop at. I will not go into Buy Mart, Kmart, or Walmart. But I do go to H Mart, and sometimes I go there when I don't need anything. I just want to wander around because there's so many cool things. It's, it's like Costco. It's huge, but there's like dried shrimp and spices and weird stuff. And I just go, man, I want to come in here and buy all of this and cook everything. It's amazing. It's so different, and I'm just, it's just a little way. Just get outside of your comfort zone. Just start exposing yourself to what's happening in the world. Um, here's something else that happens, and I'll tell you, I think this is kind of the, the, the beauty of it all. When we get out of our comfort zone, allegiances begin to change. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So this is 
a Roman soldier speaking, okay? And he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my room. So he calls Jesus Lord. Now, he did not know Jesus was God. At this point, that was still not clear. He's referring to Jesus as Lord in a more generic way, like we talked about a week or so ago, just sort of saying, uh, Master, ruler, you're, you're the one I submit myself to. He calls him Lord. He's a Roman soldier. So Caesar writes his paycheck. Let's just be clear. And on the currency of Rome was a picture of who? Caesar. And what did it say underneath the picture of Caesar? Caesar is Lord. And this guy says, Lord to Jesus. He could have lost his job, potentially, I suppose, could have lost his life. He understands authority. He just told us that. I know what, when, I'm, when I'm given a command from the guys upstairs, I do what they say. When I tell these guys to do what I say, they do what I say. That's how it works. But he calls Jesus Lord. And what he says in essence is this. There's something different about you. What I see in you is not what I see in other people. My friend is sick and I have a feeling that you can make him well. I, I hear that the wind and the waves obey your commands. You're not the normal guy that's in charge. Uh, if you guys want, the worship team want to come back up, I'm going to wrap up. I want to contextualize this just a little bit, okay? Just in closing, First of all, okay, let's just say, let's bring it into our world. This guy is a military man. He's serving his country in a foreign country. He is part of a peacekeeping troop over a country that his country has taken control of and is occupying. He's committed to his leader, committed to his country, uh, and he calls Jesus Lord. The centurion himself goes outside of all of the social conventions. He, he is willing to extend himself beyond racial barriers, political barriers, in the interest of helping his friend. So what does that mean to you and me? Here's what I think it means. That the United States of America is not Lord. And that the president of the United States of America is not the Lord. And you can like him, dislike him, you can vote, you can not vote, you can protest, you can do whatever you want. But at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org slash give.